Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Over Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, Nick Pollock, uh, we're sad to report. It, uh, no, we're happy to report. It's not here tonight, so it's just Matt DeBarrett. Matt, what's going on? Just uh, enjoying watching the Indians destroy your Yankees here, Bill. Uh, I, I don't care. I, see, I, I'm fine. I know I'm fine with whatever happens with the Yankees because, like, they're playing so far above their heads this season that I can't get too upset. And Manchester City plays Tottenham this weekend, so that that has all my like focus and energy and all that right now. And um, also, the Yankees have like a couple World Series rings. I've heard uh, twenty-seven rings. Yes, that's right. Uh, we're not. Uh, does anyone wear the number twenty-seven on the def? Uh, who wears twenty-seven? Because that would be. I've already ruined the segue. Uh, like Aeneas Hawkins, uh, they've won twenty-seven rings, but. We're here more to talk about uh, the group involving Aeneas Hawkins, which is the Penn State football defense. Uh, we're con- continuing our preview podcast series of who the Nittany Lions are going to be trotting out there uh, during the, you know, during this season. We did the offense uh, a week or two ago. This week is the defense, and the. It's so weird because I, I feel like in modern college football and you know with the last few years of Penn State having Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, Matt, the attention is just always inherently going to be the offense and how many points the offense can put up. But there are two ways to win a football game: there's score more points than the other team and keep the other team from scoring any points. And it's probably safe to assume that. We don't know if Penn State's going to be able to outscore teams, but it's probably fair to say that they're going to be able to keep a whole lot of teams from scoring this season. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, college football has kind of transitioned to this high scoring, you know, the Oklahomas, the Clemsons, even Alabama, um, having these potent offenses that um, it's almost become taken for granted, I think, in a sense, that there's the other side of the ball. and we're going to get into it here a little bit, obviously, but Penn State's going to, at least on paper heading into this season, field a pretty impressive group of defenders. And with all those question marks on offense that we hit on last week and you know everyone's kind of read about leading up to the season here in a couple of weeks, they're going to have a group that they can kind of lean on a little bit to start the year, especially while they kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work, and what they have on the offensive side of the ball. They've got so much talent at pretty much every level of the defense heading into this season that, um, you know, it's one of the questions we're going to answer here in a minute, but it's, it's such an impressive group. Um, and it, it's really going to allow, I think, Penn State as a team to find their footing early on because of what they can, what they're going to roll out there on the, the defensive side. Yeah, it's interesting because they're usually in college football – you want to be able to say you have one of two things. You either want to have really, really talented guys or you want to have really, really experienced guys. And when the situations pop up where those two things meet up, when you have talented guys and you have experienced guys, that's when you go from being a really good group to a really special group. And as I'm going through Penn State's defense – it sticks out that there are a whole lot of dudes with juniors or seniors or redshirt juniors or redshirt seniors next to their names. And all a lot of these dudes are four-star recruits. In the case of a few guys, five-star recruits. And you look at the two deep, there are four- and five-star recruits down there. Like We don't know uh, necessarily what they'll be able to do, but assuming that Penn State's uh, defensive line, the second unit, is Shane Simmons, P.J. Mustafer, Fred Hansard, and Jason Oa. That's two guys in Mustafer and Oa who were really, really high four stars. Shane Simmons, who was a five-star, pushing a five-star and some other, uh, I mean, depending on what the rating we're using, and Fred Hansard, who was a very solid four-star recruit. Those are the backups. And as like you've mentioned and like we've mentioned a few times in this pod, this team is going, you know, Idaho, Buffalo, Pitt, Maryland, Purdue. That's a good, I, I, well, I don't want to say good teams. That's a good way to kind of break the offenses, uh, you know, get them used to big-time college football. Idaho and Buffalo shouldn't trouble them too much. 
pits the rivalry game. Maryland's going to be uh, a road game against a team that's going all in on that one in Purdue. I mean, you saw what they did to Ohio State last year. They're capable of doing some really special stuff, even if they lost some guys. So you want the offense to be able to take to get into the flow of things and to get ready for the more daunting portion of the schedule once mid-October rolls around. And for Penn State to win games in that time, it's going to be dependent on the defense. It's going to be dependent on whether they can really shut opposing teams down. And I think, Matt, this kind of leads into a good first question, a question from John, which is, on paper, is this the best defense entering a season in James Franklin's tenure? And it's really, I can think of maybe one other, that one that had uh, Austin Johnson and Anthony Zettel and Carl Nassib on the defensive line. But even that one, I didn't think had three levels of talent like this one does. No, I think it's it's a pretty easy question to answer for me. Um, and, and James Franklin's even been very upfront about just how talented this group is and what he expects from them. And I think the difference is, like you alluded to, Bill, there's three levels of talent. You know, you've got the defensive line that's going to start probably Etor Grossmatos, Rob Windsor, probably Antonio Shelton to start, and Shaka Tony along the line. Linebackers of Jan Johnson, Micah Parsons, and Cam Brown. A secondary that's John Reed, Garrett Taylor, probably Lamont Wade, and Tariq Castro-Fields. There are, I think, eight, eight or nine, four or five-star players just in that first team. Then you go into the second team, you've got guys like Lance Dixon and Brandon Smith and Jesse Lukita, uh, John Sutherland, Trent Gordon. Uh, I'm, I'm going off memory here. Jason Oway is going to get, get run there. Lamont Shane Wade, Shane Simmons, P.J. Mustafer. It, it, it's an embarrassment out. of riches. In your two deep and even your three deep in some positions, blue chip prospects. And there's a, there's a level of an experience there, especially as you get into the, the second and third team. And that's going to be true of, of any any team in college football, that if you go that deep into your depth chart, you're going to have some inexperience. But the talent that's just there from top to bottom is just um, – it, it's a reflection of the way that Penn State and James Franklin have recruited since they've been here um, for you know going on to the, uh, was the sixth season that he's been here, that the, the level of talent has just – grown exponentially in the in the six classes that he's signed and it's funny you we spent a lot of time leading up to this year talking about the talent that he's brought in this right right might really be the first opportunity to really see the fruits of that labor because you you're going to replace four and five star kids with four and five star kids both in terms of guys that have graduated that are being replaced by new starters and guys are going to rotate in you know we just rolled off a number of them you're going from talented players to talented players that maybe lack a little bit of experience, but that's the, that's college football. You're always going to have a level of an experience somewhere on that depth chart, just by the nature of the game. And because of the way they've recruited that talent level is just built up class after class after class. And you've got, you've got that level of talent at every, at every level of the program class wise, you know, seniors all the way down to, to freshmen and being able to, roll that kind of talent you know we you see with ohio state for example with the way they rotate guys in the, the defensive line mm. and it's you know five star and, and an elite player after elite player penn state's kind of at that level now they probably don't have the experience top to bottom that an ohio state for example does but they they're building it and in another year or two they're going to be right there as they continue to recruit those elite level athletes yeah i mean we've seen over the last you know, the last however many years, defensive line's really the one where it sticks out. But Penn State's like to rotate guys. It's like to try and keep guys as fresh as possible in the over the course of a football game by saying, you know, we'll give five snaps to this guy, we'll give five snaps to this guy, whatever. And there's a really big difference when those couple of extra snaps, the ones that are used so, you know, someone can catch their breath on the sideline, are going to someone where there isn't just a gigantic drop-off. And, you know, I mean, I think of a, you think of a situation like the last few years where it's been, I don't know, say a Koa Farmer type who, when he would be on the field, you'd see Penn State take that bit of a step back 
Well, Micah Parsons is now going to be the linebacker in that position, and his backup, we're thinking, you know, it might be a Jesse Lukita type, it might be a Lance Dixon type, it might be a Brandon Smith type, just a kind of freak of nature athlete, and that that if you're having that be your backup dude, you're going to be in a pretty good position, even if they are a little green behind the ears. And you know, one thing that sticks out to me is uh, before our uh, our pal Bill C went to the worldwide leader in sports, he put out his projected uh, you know his projected ranking for Penn State this year has him at 14th. He believes this defense, based on S and P plus, is projected to be the fourth best in college football. And I think when you look up and down, uh, up and down this group, there's reason to think you know maybe I, I don't know if fourth is going to end up being uh, where, where they're going to end up being, but there's the talent to be talent to be in that upper upper echelon of defenses, and they have a defensive coordinator in Brent Pry who we know can get the job done. So. While the offense had question marks, I think it's fair to say and fair to be excited about what this defense can do. Uh, it's also, as an aside, and I know you'll agree with this, Matt, why I'm, you know, when a report comes out from a, from practice that the defense is a bit ahead of the offense, uh, that a, uh, you know, a guy like Rasheed Walker, who's a redshirt freshman who hasn't played in any games, can't block Ether Gross Matos. I'm not too terribly worried about that. But if that again, this defense is going to kind of bring Penn State, it's going to carry Penn State for a while. And I think that's I think that's totally fine as long as the as the offense catches up. And it kind of weeds again, it kind of weeds into our second question. Is this defense going to be young and fast? Um I'm what I would say, Matt, and I'm I want to hear your thought on this. I think they're going to pick situations where they get young guys, whether it's the, you know, someone who has literally never played uh, for Penn State, like a true freshman, uh, Jaquan Brisker, or something like that, or guys who don't have a ton of snaps, PJ Mustafer, Fred Hansard, even, even a Shane Simmons, even a Lamont Wade. They're going to strategically find ways to get those guys on the field and up to game speed because they just have so much talent around them that they can afford to, you know, do that drop off from Utah Gross Matos to Jason Owe or something like that. Well, I think the the schedule and the redshirt rule also lends itself to that. It lends itself to a little bit what you were talking about earlier, where they've been able to get some of these guys feet wet a little bit last year. Um, in some some lower pressure situations, just to kind of see what they've got. As far as you know, a young guy like Jason Oway who saw action in four games. Um, so to, to answer the question, though, I think it's certainly going to be a young defense, um, and like you said, they're going to be strategic about how they they work it. But you're going to see, you know, PJ Mustafer, true sophomore. You're going to see. Uh, I got to pull up the depth chart again here. Um, Fred Hanser, redshirt sophomore, who didn't get a whole lot of playing time. Damian Barber is going to, um, I think, work his way into the rotation. You're going to see Jason Oway, who we just mentioned. Lance Dixon, Brandon Smith, true freshman. Um, Jesse Lukita, who's just a true sophomore. It feels like we've known him for a long time. Um, Trent Gordon's a guy that is just a redshirt freshman who is going to see time. Keaton Ellis at cornerback is going to see a lot of time, I think. The reports on him have been, have been really encouraging. Um, but at the same time... You're going to see the Gross Matos, the Rob Windsor, Shane Simmons, who feels like he's been here for about 15 years because he's been committed for so long. Um, Cam Brown's a senior. John Reed's a senior. Garrett Taylor's a senior. So there's an interesting mix, and I think that'll be one of the interesting things to look for over the first four or five games of the year is how they work those different guys in, the combinations of of experience and youth. Um, The second part of the question, is this defense going to be fast? Um, I, yes. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, just, you know, I've talked a lot about Lance Dixon on, you know, going back to, to our recruiting podcast last year. Um, a guy like that is almost like a, a, a big tight end or wide receiver playing linebacker. And you've got a lot of guys like that. Um, Jason Oway is the fastest player on the team by a lot of accounts. Um, and so that, that's a lot of words to say, yes, this is going to be a very fast, very athletic defense. 
well, speed and athleticism aren't necessarily uh, prerequisites for the first position of Penn State's defense that uh, we're going to look at. That's defensive line. Uh, yeah, it kind of is a defensive end, but not necessarily a defensive tackle. Uh, a lot of the question, I mean, the questions that we got were defensive tackle related, and I think that's mostly because defensive end. It's really hard to be too concerned just because of how many bodies are there. I mean, as a as I look through the defensive ends on the roster, Shaka Tony, Adissa Isaac, Jason Owa, Shane Simmons, Nick Tarburton, Daniel Joseph, Hakeem Beeman, Smith Vilbert, or Gitor Grossmatos, I think only Vilbert was a th- three-star. Like, Tony might have been too, Matt. That's, am I correct? Yeah, Tony, Tony okay. was a three-star player. Um, I'm trying to think here. Isaac uh, was actually, oh, Hakeem yeah. Beeman has actually uh, moved the defensive tackle. Um, ah, okay. So. Well, I'm he's going off of what they the but he's, he, we'll count it. We'll count it. So, yeah, I, they. it's really hard, I think, to be too concerned about this defensive end group because if, you know, if Shane Simmons, uh, you know, picks up a knock and has to miss some time, they're going to slide Jason Owe in there. They're going to slide Daniel Joseph in there just try and see what they have with these various dudes. But I do kind of understand why there would be a little bit of concern at uh, – defensive tackle and I think before we get into the question about uh, the defensive tackle rotation the first one uh, I think we all agree Robert Windsor Windsor seems uh, written in permanent marker that he's starting at one defensive tackle position and if he's able to cut back on some of the penalties that ended up being a bit too much of a hallmark of his uh, year last year he's going to be really good but Jaron wants to know, do you believe that Mustafer should start over Shelton? It's I, I think that's hard to say, Matt. I, I mean, that seems like something. I mean, we know what Antonio Shelton is. Uh, PJ Mustafer, I think everyone would agree, a bit of a higher ceiling. But it's really hard, I think, to know for sure until we get a chance to kind of see them on the field and Get some st- get some data points to take away against Idaho, against Buffalo, and maybe even against Pitt. For sure, I think the one thing that, and I'll probably repeat myself about six times with this, um, is Antonio Shelton is in his fourth year in the program, and yes, he's he's one of a, only a few guys on the defensive line that doesn't have that blue chip pedigree, but he's also is in his fourth year in the program. He knows knows how this works. He's had a chance to work with the strength and conditioning staff. Um, he, he's kind of a known quantity. And I think at the same time, you've heard a lot of his name from coaches, from observers of the, around the program, that the light has kind of gone on for him. And it's kind of easy to overlook a guy like that, one, because he's been here so long, and two, because you see a guy like Mustafer or Hansard or even Damian Barber, who are all four-star players behind him, that are nipping at his heels trying to get playing time and you just assume that you know those are the guys that are going to get in there and if there's one position on the field that I just inherently trust that the coaching staff knows what they're doing it's Sean Spence in the defensive line in the the five years that he's been here there has not been a defensive line that's really consistently struggled he's done an outstanding job of working with what he has and developing his players and this is one of those situations where I think a guy like Sean Spencer as the, the defensive line coach has earned the benefit of the doubt to to get the right guys in there. <clears throat> Sorry, I was watching the Bryce Harper walk-off. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I'm looking at this defensive tackle depth chart, I like what you said about Shelton being in his fourth year in the program. and something that I think was really evident to people who observed Shelton, you know, last year and even kind of the year before that, is he seems like he's a really vocal leader of this defense. When they're getting warmed up before games, he's the guy in the center of everything. He's someone who's really active on the sidelines. And obviously that doesn't mean he's going to, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to turn into the second coming of Warren Sapp or anything like that. But I think that's something that we can kind of take and say, well, look at this guy. He's he kind of he knows how to bring that spark. And if now by this point he's able to bring that spark on the field in addition to off of it, 
that's not a guy you want to count out. Plus, it helps knowing that, you know, like we mentioned, he there is talent behind him in Mustafer, in Barber, uh, in Hansard. You know, maybe the season starts and a guy like Judge Culpepper and Anais Hawkins, like it just clicks for him. Who knows? But there's enough talent that you can afford to say, okay, we'll see what this guy in his fourth year in the program is, and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, the next, uh, the next question kind of gets to that, you know, the depth of the defensive line. What will the defensive line rotation look like? And then kind of the question, Matt, that, you know, this, the entire season basically hinges upon, do we have the hosses up front to handle Ohio State and Michigan? Well, I'll answer the second part of the question first, but I think the, on the defensive side of the ball, they absolutely do. Um, not to get into Michigan and Ohio State too much, but they both have some some holes to fill on the on their offensive lines um, due to graduation and, and injury and, and things like that. Um, and so I I absolutely think that defensively Penn State matches up with everyone on their schedule very well. Um, now what that means come October 18th against Michigan and November 23rd against Ohio State, we'll have to wait and see. Um, there's some some other big games in there like Iowa and Michigan State that will will um, play a part in all this as well. Um, but I think to that same point, one thing that jumps out to me is when Penn State can put a guy like Gross Matos on one end and we'll just say Shaka Tony on the other end, um, or even in a passing situation, we'll say we can slide Gross Matos in the middle and you can line up something like Shaka Tony, Gross Matos, Rob Windsor, and Shane Simmons across your defensive front to get after a Justin Fields or, or whoever's lining up at quarterback on the other side. That's I, I'd take that line over just about anyone else in, in the country for the most part. Um, and, and at the same time, when you've got a guy like Gross Matos and, and Simmons will say on both ends, that opens up things for a guy like Rob Winston. You saw a little bit of that last year, especially in the second half of the season when he really started to take off. Um, you don't necessarily need to be a guy that is going to draw double teams and, and be you know, a freak athlete. If you're getting favorable matchups because of who's lining up next to you in the line, that can really open up a lot. Um, to, to the first part of the question, as far as the rotation, I think we talked a little bit about it. I think Rob Windsor and Antonio Shelton are your, your starters inside day one, and it's probably going to be Gross Matos and Shaka Tony outside day one. Um, with Tony, they've really talked up his his ability to be an every down player he's up to i think 245 or 250 now not not a huge guy but certainly way bigger than he was when he first cracked the rotation a couple years ago he's more than just a situational pass rusher now um i think you're gonna see probably daniel joseph and shane simmons to start the year as those those second guys up at the end positions but you can get situational there with you know jason Oway or nick tarburton or even adiza isaac who i think is going to see some time this year especially early when they figure out you know, exactly what they've got with him. Inside, I think you're going to see probably um, P.J. Mustafer is, is the definite as in that second group. Um, the name that's really come on here of late, it sounds like from you know, listening to press conferences and things like that, is Damian Barber, the redshirt sophomore who arrived at Penn State as a defensive end but was always one of those guys that was going to ultimately grow into a tackle. Um, he sounds like the light bulb's kind of gone on for him now. Um, and he could be pushing for that that fourth guy. And then you've got guys like Fred Hanser, who's coming off the injury, Judge Culpepper, and Ias Hawkins. Um, you can really go six, five, six deep if you really need to. Um, I think what's what's really exciting about that is, I think it was last week James Franklin was saying that there were two spots that they were kind of their question marks on defense heading into the year. One was defensive tackle, the other was safety, what we'll talk about here in a second. And on both positions, they sound like they're really excited about the way the guys that are not necessarily going to be starting, but the guys that are going to be in that second group have really stepped up to give them a solid two deep at the two spots that were their biggest question marks going into the year. And I think Damian Barber is probably a big reason for that, um, especially as they kind of ease Fred Hansard back in after the knee injury last year. And the entire thing is thing with a depth chart. And what the rotation looks like is it's not something 
that gets set in stone. It's a very fluid, very flexible situation. So there's there's a chance, who knows, maybe by the time we get to uh, that Iowa game or you know, Michigan's coming to Happy Valley, maybe a guy like a PJ Mustafer or maybe a guy like a Fred Hansard has just you just cannot keep him off the field. And that means that a guy like Antonio Shelton gets phased out a little bit, or they have to tweak some stuff uh, in order to allocate snaps a little bit differently. But the pass rusher, well, with the defensive ends, there's just so much talent there that it's going to be Yitor Grossmanos and Shaka Tony at the start of the year, sure. But show me a single person that would be surprised if Jason Owe just comes out onto the pitch. I, not onto the pitch, sorry, I, my brain's in soccer mode. Comes out onto the field and just starts tearing stuff up. And Shane Simmons starts playing like the five-star recruit that we know. He is. We don't know. And that's where so much of the excitement is. Usually when we're saying, I don't know about Penn State football, it's about whether or not the quarterback is going to be able to stay upright or receivers are going to be able to catch the football or something like that. The I don't know with the defensive line it it stems from the fact that there is just so much there that there is no way we can know for sure who's going to end up being the alpha dog of the group. And there are a lot of guys who have the potential to do that. And that's exciting. And that's why that that's why it's this defense has the potential to be so special because there are just dudes all over the place and heading into this season uh, as we move to the next level of the defense there is not a single dude uh maybe in the big 10 who is getting as much consistent love and excitement as micah parsons uh we didn't get any linebacker questions so Matt, the way that I think we discuss the linebackers is we discuss Micah Parsons and how Penn State's going to use him, and then the other two guys. Uh, looks like it's going to be Jan Johnson and Cameron Brown. We don't know how other players will end up factoring into that, but I think the one thing that we can kind of safely say right now is that Micah Parsons is in a position to come out and just have a monster year this season. Oh, absolutely. And I think you saw so many flashes of it last year and it was, you know, we, we all talked a lot about it. It was frustrating to see those flashes, not see him get more time. But I think um, it's real easy to sit back on and watch on TV or, or in, in person and say, that guy needs to play more. He needs the experience. I think there's, and we're going to talk about it a little bit with Cam Brown here in a minute. There's a right way and a wrong way to bring along a guy, especially a guy like Parsons, who's obviously absurdly talented, but is you know a true freshman learning a new position, has all this hype around him. You you want to bring him along the right way and not throw too much at him too fast. And you you saw his reps go up more and more as the year went on. Um, and I think it would ended up being about a fifty fifty split by the end of the year with with Koa Farmer, and you just saw every game he looked more comfortable every game. He was a little bit more around the ball. I think the one thing that was missing last year is that, that kind of playmaking feel that you, you almost expect from a guy that just is, is a freak athlete that you, you could put him at tight end and he'd be great. You can put him at running back. He'd be great. They've talked about putting him at a kick returner um, in situations and you just know he's, he can do it because he's just has that, that God given talent. Um, but I think what you're going to see this year and what really excites me is He's got that year under his belt. He's, you know, now a sophomore. He's in his, uh, gosh, he started early, so he's going into his fourth semester as a college student. So this all kind of is is not new to him anymore. He knows knows how this works, and so you're going to see them throw more at him as far as getting after the passer, doing more things with him in coverage, um, just using that that natural ability that he has to do different things out of the linebacker position. He's he was, you know, a five-star top defensive end in the country out of high school, and so he knows how to get after the passer. But that's obviously, you know, he something he he can do it from the linebacker position. We didn't really see last year until really probably um, the last couple games of the year where they started to throw a little bit more at him. So the the sky's the limit for what Parsons is, is able to do, and 
on top of all that, I think what's really excited me the most has been he's kind of taken on this leadership position with the team. I think part of that is he's got this this personality that just draws people to him. He's just kind of that natural type A leader, you know, center of attention. Sometimes not in the best way, but um, he seems to have have figured it out at, at at the collegiate level, and he's really become, I think, the face of the defense and has embraced that role and is becoming, you know, that that true all around player, all around leader. And quite frankly, that was something I think that was lacking a little bit all over the field for Penn State last year was that kind of you know, big personality, you know, Marcus Allen, he has a little bit of that in him where he's, he's the guy that's, you know, makes the big play and is excited and isn't afraid to show it. You, you know, on social media, you see him, you know, putting himself out there. I think it's good to have a little bit of that personality as a team. And I think Parsons on the defensive side of the ball is kind of the, the, the focal point for that sort of thing. You, you just kind of inherently want your best players you want them to do one of two things. You want them to either to lead by example or you want them to have – or you want them to be that kind of really vocal, rah-rah type of leader. And it looks like Parsons is embracing being – he's embracing being the kind of guy who can voc, you know, vocally challenge a dude and have them do – tell them they have to be better. But coming from a place of I'm your teammate, I, I'm trying to bring you along with me – and of course, he's just capable of doing stuff on the football field that other people just are not capable of doing. His, I mean, how many times did we see last year where he did a true freshman thing? He would, whether that is, you know, he didn't diagnose a play right immediately, uh, whether that's, you know, he was out of position, whatever it is. And he, the second that he realized what it, what he had done, he just went, oh, okay, and just made up for it because he's that big, that fast, that strong. His understanding of like where he has to end up to make a play, like he just has special stuff about him. And he's the the stuff that he wasn't great at last year are basically just stuff that gets, you know, they're wrinkles that get ironed out the more that you play. He's going, uh, he, for how good. Yitor Gross Matos is, and how good you know a guy like a John Reed, a Garrett Taylor, uh, a Robert Windsor is. Micah Parsons is the guy who, when he is playing at his best, he is capable of playing at a level that no other person on this defense is capable of playing at, which is not an indictment of anyone on this defense as much as it is praise of the natural talent that Micah Parsons possesses. And next to him, you have two two guys who, if you could put Jan Johnson and his ability to read and diagnose and react to plays, in, if you took that aspect of Jan Johnson and just the, the God-given gifts, the length, the athleticism, the strength, the speed that Cam Brown has, you'd have a damn near perfect linebacker. But for the flaws that these both these guys both have, Matt, you know, Johnson's not the best athlete on earth. Uh, Brown, you know, he has to put it together this year. This is his last year in college. We've seen him being prone to make some pretty less-than-ideal mistakes. They do stuff well. And they're both, in, in their own ways, good football players. And next to a guy like Parsons, who's going to be, who's going to attract so much attention, there's going to be room for both of these guys to just do stuff out there. Yeah, and I think you've hit on one thing there that brings me back to the defensive line real quick. The talent in front of those guys, I think, if it pans out the way we expect it to, is going to allow those linebackers a lot of room to, to make plays, um, keeping that offensive line from getting to the second level. Um, start with Cam Brown because he's a player that I, I really like, and I, I touched on it briefly. He's the kind of guy that got forced into action way too early as a freshman because of the depth issues way before he was ready. And I think that's kind of had a trickle down effect throughout the rest of his career. You just, you throw too, throw too much at a player as a young, whether they're physically not ready or mentally not ready or both, and it can, can impact their development. And I think we've all seen the flashes of athleticism from Brown that show you that he can, he can play the position and play it effectively. 
he just follows that up with one of those head scratching, what are you doing kind of moments. Um, but you've heard a lot of buzz about him and a lot of buzz from the coaches about how he's kind of taken on a leadership position himself among the defense as a senior, as kind of the, the experienced leader of, of the linebacking core. Um, so I think it's, it's obviously, like you said, now or never, but I, I'm optimistic that because he's not going to be looked upon as having to be the guy because of who's around him and being just another guy on the defense that hopefully takes some pressure off him and allows him just to play. Um, we're not going to see him for the first half of the Idaho game because of uh, the, the, uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Bill? The, uh, the headshot penalty against Kentucky in the bowl game. Uh, targeting. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I cannot remember the name of that penalty, which is not a good sign at 11 o'clock as we record this. <laughs> um, but um, so I, I think he's in a, in a good spot. I think it would have been great if he was a redshirt junior this year instead of a true senior. Um, but it's just, you know, that's, that's water under the bridge at this point. As for Johnson, I think, you know, we all know what he is. You're, you're going to get a smart player who's going to be in the position um, I thought he really, he's never going to be an a, a outstanding athlete along the lines of a Brown or a Parsons or, or Lance Dixon or some of the guys pushing him for time. But what he does do is play fast because of how, how intelligent he is. He understands where he's supposed to be, how to make the play. And I thought as the defense emerged as a more, more dominant force in the second half of last season, he was kind of the, the epitome of that is of understanding how things, how, how he fit into what the other 10 guys in the field were trying to do. Um, and I think also having a guy like Ellis Brooks behind him, getting more time, you're going to see, you know, um, you know, Dixon Smith, Lukita, um, some of those young guys get some time, um, in there as well, especially early on in the years, they, they figure out who's capable of what that takes some pressure off him as well, where he doesn't have to play, 80% of the snaps you can play maybe 50 and let some of those younger guys rotate in and situationally be in the right spot. So, um, it's a really solid group. I think you, you get a little bit of everything. You have the, the, just all everything guy in Parsons. You have a, an experienced senior that brings some athletics in the table in Brown and the, the, the heady guy like, like Johnson in there. And then you add in the, the freshman Dixon and Smith, you add in a Jesse Lukita, you add in, you know, even an Ellis Brooks, um, Charlie Catcher, some of those guys further down the depth chart that are going to, I think, all see time. And it's funny to think about where linebacker was just a couple years ago as far as one or two injuries brings in a true freshman like Cam Brown. And now you can – you don't hope for this by any means, obviously, but they're they're much better able to withstand either, either an injury or a guy struggling um, with – with a certain matchup or whatever it might be, they've got some options to to mix and match and find the right combination as as games play out this year. Absolutely, and that's that. It, it seems like part you know Parsons is more or less set in stone. Johnson, uh, it, it's weird because like this is pure speculation, but I, I would have to imagine that if you can get someone who can bring a little bit more athleticism. And is able to do, you know, the kind of the quarterback of the defense thing that you see out of him where really smart player knows where to be, all that. They're going to, he's a guy who can have his snaps eaten into a bit brown the same way if one of the younger guys are able to, uh, one of the younger guys are able to come along. But there's competition, there's talent, and there's depth at this position. And it has the star in Parsons who, you know, having a guy like him makes everyone have to raise their level a little bit, and that can only mean good things for Penn State. Moving to the third level of the Nittany Lion defense, which is defensive back, I'd probably say, Matt, if there is any um, any position on the Penn State defense where... I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I, leery might be the word. It would probably be cornerback and safety, but th- there's enough talent there and there are enough bodies there 
that no matter what, I think they're going to end up being pretty good. Yeah, and I think cornerback way more than safety um, is gives gives me more confidence. Um, you're going to have John Reed and Tariq Castro Fields. I think we can pretty safely write Nink as, as the two starters. You're going to have um, Donovan Johnson, who I thought looked really good last year before he got injured, um, probably be serving as that third third cornerback. You might see John Reed slide inside. He did it a lot last year um, in nickel situations. Um, I mentioned Keaton Ellis earlier, the, the true freshman who, um, if he was from a – high school that wasn't state high and didn't commit to Penn state as early as he did in his junior year, I think would be a much more highly talked about recruit. Um, he, he ended up as a four star on the composite. He was, I think a top 150 player on two, four, seven by the time uh, he signed or, or very close. He made a huge leap up the rankings. Um, and Trent Gordon, the, the red shirt freshman who saw some action last year. I think with those five guys, you've got a pretty good set um, they're not probably as deep as some other positions. You can start getting a more true freshman the, the further down you go. Um, safety, you've got four really good guys and then a huge question mark and a lot of youth behind them. But I'm not sure there's a, a better safety group in the Big Ten that uh, I'm not sure I would take anyone else over the combination of Garrett Taylor, Lamont Wade, Jaquan Brisker, and John Sutherland. Um, Taylor, I thought, was really an unsung hero last year. Just wasn't flashy, but just was really solid. Didn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, and I think as a senior, he's a guy that I, we talked about, I think, on the, the first pod we did previewing the season that I really think is going to have a monster year. Um, former solid four-star player, you know, 94-95 ranking that dealt with the injury recovery, then dealt with the position change, and just really has kind of gotten better and better every year. Um, it sounds like Lamont Wade's going to get the start next to him, at least starting the year. Um, that's kind of in the same boat as, as Taylor was. This is his second year at safety. Uh, Taylor was in his second year last year as, as a junior eligible. Wade's in the same boat. I think we probably know a little bit more about him because of the Pennsylvania connection, because of the five-star buzz, um, a big personality for sure, and then obviously the the transfer portal um, situation over the, the offseason. Um but I think just as important is you've got two guys in Brisker and Sutherland behind those two guys that other than the experience, I don't think athletically you're going to see a huge drop-off. Um, Brisker is a guy I think a lot of us expected to ultimately take over that um, open safety spot next to Taylor. Um, I'm not sure any of us really were sure how that would play out with him and, and Wade, but Brisker kind of had a lot of buzz. And then Sutherland played a fair amount last year excuse me, um, both due to, to injury. And I think there was a targeting suspension in there at some point for maybe Taylor. Um, but he, he certainly showed that he, he knows what he's doing out there. Um, and now in his third year in the program. So that's, that's a really solid group, probably not as much depth in the secondary overall as you have elsewhere on the field, but top to bottom, I think and you're, you're too deep. There is, is really solid. It's, it's the portion of the field where, we, you know, we don't have concerns about the guys at the very top as long as, you know, as long as they can stay healthy, as long as they can stay on the field, anything like that. I, I mean, you kind of touched on everyone, but we know we there, there are, for my money, three very much known commodities in uh, Tariq Castro Fields and John Reed and in Garrett Taylor. They're three very, very, very good football players. Um, they're, I feel very comfortable and confident with them on the field. That second safety, uh, you know, that's a little more up in the air. I, I, I've said on this pod in the, in the uh, past few weeks that I'm very confident in what Lamont Wade is able to bring to this team. And I think that this is going to be a potentially big year for him. Uh, but like you said, whether it's a Donovan Johnson, a Keaton Ellis, uh, uh, Trent Gordon, John Sutherland, Jaquan Brisker, like there are other dudes there. It's now just a matter of making sure they aren't, um, you, you, they aren't relied on too terribly much. I, you know, I'm interested to see how they're able to 
how or if they're able to fold in, say, a Tyler Rudolph, how or, how or if they're going to fold in. You know, maybe Marquise Wilson, Joey Porter Jr., like these younger dudes get a few snaps outside of Keaton Ellis, who seems like he's a pretty safe bet to get on the field. And I, I, I'm, it's just interesting. There's a lot of talent there. There isn't a lot of depth. And regardless, they bet this group benefits from a nasty, nasty, nasty front seven that is going to make quarterbacks have to act a little bit quicker than they probably like to and probably won't allow uh, running backs and running plays to get past that first or second level too terribly frequently. Uh, we have two defensive back questions. Um, the first one is from a Twitter user, Liverpool4, Barcelona0. I just want to be on the record. I hate that name. Uh should uh, Jonathan Sutherland start over Lamont Wade, the guy who's a nose for the ball? It, that It's an interesting question, Matt, because Sutherland and Wade are, you, you know, Garrett Taylor's a very solid safety who could do a little bit of everything. So to me, this question is basically asking, what do you want that second safety to be? Do you want it to be a more pass? You know, you want him to be... Uh, more of a coverage, more of a center fielder kind of guy in Wade, or do you want to be a guy like Sutherland who's going to come up in the box and hit somebody? Well, I think you you nailed it. I think you've got two different types of safeties. Um, and I part of me wonders, as we get further into the year, how they rotate those guys. Is it going to be more situationally? Is it going to be riding the hot hand? Is it going to be, you know, matchup, you know, you see more of Sutherland against an Iowa or Michigan State team and then see more of a Wade against an Ohio State team that's probably going to rely on the, the pass a little bit more. Um, and that's kind of what I was alluding to when I was naming all nine, I think it was, defensive backs that are going to see a lot of time this year is that there's not really a wrong answer, and that's a total cop-out to, to answer uh, Liverpool for Barcelona Zero's question, but it's it really is a matter of, especially among the three guys that aren't Garrett Taylor, three different kinds of players. I think Brisker is probably a combination of, of what Wade and, and Sutherland bring to the table. But um, I think we're probably, a, as fans, guilty of what we've seen of Lamont Wade hasn't been the five-star elite playmaker that I think you you expect to walk in and make you know, make noise right away. Um, he dealt with, I know, some injuries, I think, when he first got here. He dealt with the position change. And it's just there's there's a learning curve. And like I've talked about with some some other players on the field, is he's now in his third year in the program, his second year at, at safety. Um, there's a reason why he's getting run, the run with the ones right now, by all indications, is because he's, he's the best player to, to see that spot. No, I think as the year goes on and, and guys get knocks and like I said, you know, situations present themselves where maybe a Sutherlander or a Brisker is a better matchup, you're going to see a lot of of all four, all three of those guys. I think Taylor's kind of the, the known quantity. You're going to see him in there virtually every snap as long as he's healthy and, and the game's in doubt. But I think you're going to see a lot of Brisker, Sutherland, and Wade, regardless of who gets gets the start. Oh, well, huh? Can you hear me or is Skype acting stupid? I've got you. Yeah, all right. That leads into our second question, uh, which is from Jacob. Uh, how big is it that Lamont Wade removed his name from the portal and stayed at Penn State? What role will he play this year? Uh, I think it, you can probably guess based on the fact that we have named four safeties who we expect to see get serious run one of whom is a junior college transfer, uh, that we think it's pretty big that Lamont Wade decided to stick around. He's, for the issues that he has had when he's gotten onto the field, for the fact that, you know, he might be undersized, he might be this, that, and the third, he's still a talented dude. He's still a good football player, and he's someone who, I think if everything clicks for him, 
Lamont Wade and Garrett Taylor, that's as good of a one-two punch as you're going to get in sa- at safety in the entire Big Ten. So I think – and, of course, there's he, he's not no guarantee. I mean, I – I believe in the talent, and I believe in the fact that he's kind of taking Garrett Taylor's route of his third year, uh, well, his second year at safety, his third year in the program is going to be the one where he kind of makes the big jump. But it's big. Uh, he has he has the potential to form a one-two punch with Taylor back there that's really, really, really good. And for how much I like Jonathan Sutherland and for how much I like Jaquan Brisker, Matt, like – I. I don't think the ceiling is as high as it is on Garrett Taylor lining up next to Lamont Wade. Yeah, and I, I think to to the questions point, I think it's huge just from a from a purely practical standpoint. First of all, it's it gives you a, a two deep. You're not going with one guy backing up two players, or you're not going with a true freshman that's that's in the two deep that's going to see see more action. You've got four guys all of a sudden at safety that that are all capable of playing. <clears throat> and I think you're real quick. They've said in the past that both safety positions are not, this isn't a, you know, a true free safety, strong safety. Both positions kind of have some similar responsibilities depending on the call and everything like that, of course. But um, from a, from a practical standpoint, it's huge. And then from a, a talent standpoint um, that, that look, there's no, no denying that Lamont Wade brings elite athleticism to the field. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the, the strongest guy, but he, he was a top 50 player in the country for a reason. And that's because he's, he's a great athlete and you can never have too many of those guys on the field. So in that regard, it's huge. And I think from a, a perception standpoint, um, we've talked a lot about the majority of the, of the guys that have left via the transfer portal are guys that were just looking for playing time. They were, they were being overtaken by some of these younger talented guys, on the on the roster, and they were looking for an opportunity where they were going to be more more likely to see the field. Lamont Wade wasn't one of those guys, so I think the perception of lo- losing a former elite prospect from Pennsylvania, um, you know, optics are huge. And I think, despite the the negative impression nationally of of the number of guys that left, keeping Wade, I think whether it's it's mentioned as much or not is huge just from a, a perception standpoint on top of all the the on the field things I, I would I'd surely agree and I think that that is it for uh, kind of the each position thing we got a few random questions here first up two from CJ Uh the first one is over or under 45 sacks this season. Uh, I believe, uh, Matt, that they've gotten uh, over 45 or somewhere in that ballpark every year that Sean Spencer has been here, if memory serves. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something. Yeah. I don't know the exact number, but it's right around there. I think I would take the over. Yeah, so that's I. That's closing in on... on four sacks a game, but I think when you see some of the teams on the schedule and some of the 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 offensive line and, and lack of mobile quarterback behind set offensive lines, I think there's going to be opportunity to, to kind of run up the score a little bit, per se, on the, on the sack count. Yeah, and I believe they were right around... I just did some, uh, you know, quick math from the... You know, I don't have the total here. I just have the individual sack numbers, and I think it was around like 45 last year. And I think this defensive, when you consider the fact that you know they have to replace five by Kevin Givens, seven and a half by Sharif Miller, okay, those are tough. But there are guys who can replace those. Uh, and Yitor Grossmatos could maybe he takes another step forward from the eight that he had last year. Uh, Shaka Tony takes a step forward from the five he had last year. Robert Windsor the six and a half. You add in all the various guys and the you know. Looking up and down this, the only guys they lost that recorded sacks were Sharif Miller, uh, Kevin Givens, uh, Nick Scott had one, uh, Aaron Monroe and Ellison Jordan both had one, uh, and then CJ Thorpe had half a sack. So I feel pretty good in saying that they're going to they there's plenty of room for them to improve on what they did last year. And then who leads the team in sacks after Yitor Grossmatos? 
I you know, Robert Windsor seems like the easy answer because he, just, he was really good at it last year. Uh, Shaka Tony had five last year. He was the number two defensive end. I, this is tough, Matt. I there's a lo- there are a lot of potential answers here, and I'm going to defer to you uh, for first dibs. <laughs> I, I think from a purely practical standpoint, Windsor is a, a is a good choice because he's going to be on the field a lot. He's I don't think you'll see see him rotate out as much as like an Antonio Shelton, for instance. But my my pick, and I've I've made this pick in various friend chats and things of, of that ilk over the last couple of years is Shane Simmons. I just, yep. he's healthy. I think I mentioned earlier, he's been committed to Penn state since I think it was July of 2015. So going on, maybe it was July of 2014. He's, he's been a part of the program officially or otherwise for a long, long time, but he's still just a red shirt junior now. And by all accounts, 100% healthy. The, the foot is held up through camp through through two weeks now, knock on wood. And so I'm going to take a flyer and say that um, the the former, I guess he, he wasn't a four, five-star when he commit, when he signed, but he was when he committed. So the, the former 1.5-star prospect uh, starts to uh, tap into that potential that, that we saw glimpses of as a freshman and and certainly expected when he, he arrived at Penn State. Yeah, he's he is the. Uh, I, I think I'd agree with that. It, it, if Shane Simmons can stay on the field, and that's before, like it's just that I think. Like talent's not the question. He's six three and nearly two hundred and sixty pounds. Like he is physically has the profile of a guy who is who can raise hell off the edge. Stay on the field, and I think he's going to be able to do some really, really special stuff. Uh, next one uh, from another Matt. Uh, who has more sacks this year, Yitor Gross Matos or Micah Parsons? Uh, we both think that's a pretty easy, pretty easy answer. We just kind of answered that in the last one, even if Micah has the potential to do some just absolutely ludicrous stuff uh, this year. I-, I will defer to you, Matt, for the second half of this question. Are they going to be the reincarnation of LeVar Arrington and Courtney Brown? It's funny. I, I never gave a whole lot of thought to it until I saw the question before we, we started recording. But I, th- I think it's a pretty interesting comparison on a couple levels. Gross Matos isn't a huge personality. Courtney Brown really wasn't either. It was one of those, I'm just going to show up and play football really well and, and do my thing. Whereas Micah Parsons, obviously the big personality the Pennsylvania kid that everyone's known about for, for a long time. And certainly that, that matches up with LeVar and, and now you've got him wearing the same number. I think that's from a, a production production standpoint is probably a little unfair to put that kind of expectation on, on those two guys, just because you're talking about guys that I think went one, two in the draft um, I believe in, so. in 2000. Um, uh, poor Courtney Brown had to go to Cleveland, and and that's where dreams go to die. Um, go Browns. Nineteen and zero. Anyway, <laughs> who said that? Um, but I I think from a a personality standpoint, I think it's a great comparison. From a a production standpoint, I'm going to tap the brakes just a little bit because I'm not sure we're talking about guys that are gonna, that are one two in the NFL draft type of material quite yet. Yeah, there, uh, there, there was a big difference between uh, where we think these two players are, which are two of the best players in uh, the Big Ten, and being two guys who went one-two in an NFL draft. So, um, listen, I think I speak for everyone when I say I would love it if Courtney Brown and LeVar Arrington 2.0 uh, happened with Yeter Gross Matos and uh, Micah Parsons this year, I just have a little bit of skepticism about them getting to that level. Uh, although I will say, if Micah Parsons went number was a top two NFL draft pick, that wouldn't be too bad. Uh, last question here, uh, a question from Nathan. Which opposing offense will give them their toughest challenge this season. And my God, do I hate that I'm going to say Michigan. Uh, if you would like to uh, propose someone else, go for it. The, you know, that trip to uh, 
That trip to Columbus on November 23rd is certainly going to be a difficult one. Uh, having to go to East Lansing uh, has been a bit of a shop of horrors for Penn State in recent years, but I think it's going to be Michigan. What do you think? I, it's really close between Michigan and Ohio State, and that, that feels like a little bit of a cop-out answer because, yes, those are the two best teams um, other than Penn State in, in the East. On, but I think I'm going to go with Ohio State just because – I don't – and we've joked about this, Bill, for, for weeks. Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh and the entire Michigan football program has spent months telling us to trust them that Josh Gaddis has the keys to the offense. Jim Harbaugh is keeping his hands off. He's going to do great as a first-time play caller. Just trust us. But they've said it so much that I, I just have to see it first before I totally buy into – that this Michigan offense is going to be, you know, up tempo, spread, you know, taking advantage of Shea Patterson's legs, all, you know, all these things that that we think they're going to do, but until we actually see it. Whereas Ohio State has plenty of questions themselves to answer, but for the the now two years that Ryan Day was in Columbus, now his third year as first as the head coach, of course. Ohio State's been really, really good on offense, and they've done it with different style quarterbacks. And I think Fields is kind of this hybrid of. I'm sorry, we don't know if Justin Fields is, is the is the starter. Ryan Day refuses to tell us until Monday. That's I think when he's he said he's he's going to make his big announcement. Yeah, it's either it seems like it's either going to be Fields or a, a grad transfer who couldn't get on the field for Kentucky last year, right? Yeah, so so it's going to be the, the so five star be Fields, yeah. n- number two player. Yes, it's it's Justin Fields, but I'm I'm trying very has, has hard Gunner, to. It doesn't look like Gunnar Hoke has ever even like played. This is he, uh, he saw some some spot action. I was actually looking at this earlier today because I was curious. He threw twenty six passes last year. Yeah, he he was a, a decent recruit out of uh, Dublin Kaufman, which was uh, on the matter of guys like. Uh, um, Brady Quinn and, and some guys like that. Uh, wow. Mike Adams that went to Ohio State, big, um, just next door to where I grew up practically. Anyway, um, but it, it's going to be Justin Fields, who's kind of this this hybrid of what they had in JT Barrett as a mobile quarterback and Dwayne Haskins as a thrower. Now, he certainly has to prove it, but you know we all know as Penn State fans very well how talented Fields is. So I'm going to say Ohio State's going to present a bigger challenge just because it's on the road and Ryan Day has the track record that I just – I think Michigan is going to be really good and I think it's going to be a really tough matchup, but this natural skepticism in me and knowing how controlling Jim Harbaugh appears from the outside, I, I need to see some some evidence that this is really Josh Gaddis's offense and Josh Gaddis is running the show before I – I fully buy into the fact that that they're going to be a little more potent offensively this year. I think that's fair. I mean, I I'm basically at a point where I think I think that Harbaugh is going to give Gaddis a chance to do stuff because he kind of has to. And if you look at their personnel, they've a veteran offensive line. You know, it's a bit of a question mark, but they've a bunch of. I, I'll bet on the uh, I'll bet on the fact that they have dudes that have been there before. Uh, they had while their running game might be um, we'll say lacking. Uh, they have a lot, a lot of talent at wide receiver, and I think Shea Patterson is really, really, really good. And if they let Josh Gaddis kind of take over control of the offense and let him spread it around. And put, you know, in that the Joe Moorhead philosophy is that we're going to get guys in one on ones and we're going to have them win them. And we're just going to find the best matchups for them and exploit them at all times. And in Tark Black and Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples Jones, they have three really talented wide receivers who they can exploit matchups with. And I think. Despite the fact that that's going to be a night game in Beaver Stadium, that's going to be a dang hornet's nest for Michigan to have to walk into. I, I think they're going. That's the one. Although, like you mentioned, I think Ryan Day is a superstar. 
Um, I think that Justin Fields is going to be very, very good for them. Uh, they've got KJ Hill, Mac Austin. Uh, they have J.K. Dobbins in their backfield. Uh, they're the backups in uh, in Columbus are all just like freaks of nature, former five stars. So that if that offense is able to get clicking by the time that matchup happens in Columbus, that has the potential to be up. But that Michigan one, whew. and then I want to uh, just one little shout out uh, to Purdue. Um, just because they have Rondale Moore and he's he's a goddamn nuke. So and Jeff Brom, you know, Jeff Brom is going to find ways. Um, he, he's going to find ways to get him the ball. And you know, I don't know how sold I am in Elijah Sindelar, but they have that. So yeah, having a R- Rondale Moore is very good at football. We will put it that way. I think that's it. Um, I can't think of too terribly much else I want to say about Penn State's defense, Matt. So if there's any last thing you want to add, go for it. Lance Dixon is is going to be really good. He, that's he, like that's required statement on my part every podcast. Yes, he he is. We we both believe in him very much. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's it for this edition of War Lions Radio. Thank you as always. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Thank you as always for reading and supporting the site and sharing what we're doing. Make sure you're subscribing on iTunes and all the other various podcasting platforms that we have. Uh, buy some shirts. We got some new ones. Uh, they're still very nice. I have yet to purchase one, but that is high on my to-do list. And we also we, have, we've got hoodies. They're we, really nice. Yeah, we do. Uh, we now have uh, we now have our state hoodies, and if they're anything like the Tuddies hoodies, which I'm sure they are, again. I don't own one. You're going to love it. And we also have a few shirts on clearance, including uh, my favorite shirt that we have made, the 2016 champion shirt. So hop on, uh, go ahead, spend a little, uh, spend a little cash. We're getting to the end of the week here. Once that direct deposit hits, you deserve to do that. And yeah, thank you uh, as always for listening to the podcast for my co-host today, Matt DeBear. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.